Awesome, awesome. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. Oh man, isn't it exciting to see people, um, to hear the update from, from, from Pastor Brian up here about what's happening up uh, around the world and everything. I think that's super exciting to me. Um, he was telling me a, a little story about Emily and how she was, she was like, I guess Putin came into town, right? And they shut down the whole thing, and it was a big deal. They, they were, I don't know what he was doing there, but, um, it, it, you know, I mean, if that guy's around, you know, I don't know. I would be a little worried. Uh, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was um, it's, it's great to see that the gospel of Jesus goes outside these four walls. Amen? And that there's a greater, bigger impact that we're called to make on the world. Man, and I'm, I'm, we're right in line here with what, what God has in store for us this morning. So uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to start. You guys ready? Yeah. Um, today we're going to wrap up this sermon series. Um, and um, although we haven't focused on every statement that follows this, you have heard it said concept, the idea has been focused around this conventional wisdom of Jesus reaffirming and, and getting us to understand those things that we once believe and correcting those things and making sure that we're following them the proper way. So today we finish with the greatest command ever given to the Christian believers in the church of Jesus. So it, it doesn't get any bigger than this. It's a big deal today. Did I say that loud enough? I'm just kidding. If you, I, I'm, I'm telling you if, you, if you, if this command from God does not move you today to feel like it applies to you, if you sit here this morning and say to me, I don't know, it's okay, that's for you, not for me. I have some bad news for you. You may be missing the biggest thing of your life ever. Because all of us in this room today ultimately were created for mission. That person next to you, you can look at them and say you were created for mission. I know some of you don't like doing it, just as long as you know. Because God is at work in the world and he wants us to join him. We have been assigned to be part of God's mission in this world. We are called to have both ministry in the body of Christ and a mission around the world. And here is how that breaks down. Our ministry is our service to believers. Our mission is our service to unbelievers. Amen? Here's what the scripture describes that personal mission as. John 17, 18. Just as Jesus, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. The message translation says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Acts 20, 24 says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and the one who is wise saves lives. Amen? Our lives are meant to be both share and specific. What do I mean by that? One part is a responsibility that as a collective group of people, we share as a church with one emphasis, with one goal in mind. But there is also a part of this call that is as specific to you as anything is. 
There's a unique responsibility as an individual, a believer of God that you carry, that it is specific to you. I sit here and, and, and I'm worshiping God and, and I'm having the moment with God because I feel the weight of that specific mission that God has placed on my shoulders. You're like, well, you're the pastor. You should. I understand that. But there's a mission for you in this world. People nowadays get too caught up in the shared mission of this gospel. And what is my church doing? What is the body doing as a collective? Where are we going next week? But ultimately, there is a specific call that's unique, proprietary, just to you. Where God created you with specific abilities. You have a unique set of skills. It's like God assembled the Avengers here. <laughs> We're better than the Avengers. That's right. That's right. I'll change it. Change that in the back. Let's change it. We are better than the Avengers. No. It's, it's important for us to understand this because, because when have you ever saw it in Scripture that who you are represents what you're being called to be? It's called a gap. We, we settle too much for who we are as individuals instead of allowing God to fulfill what he's called you to be. I, I, I always tell people that I didn't used to talk to people. I had one friend in middle school and one friend in high school. And you're like, not you. Yes. I couldn't talk to people. It still comes out every once in a while. If you're, you, you catch it. I run out of things to say sometimes. Okay? But I was never this outgoing. You know? I would walk in and I just like put my head down and like, nope, nope, not me, not me, not me. But God has a unique purpose for each and every one of us that is not based around who you are today, but based around what he wants you to accomplish as an individual. We are, we're called to do something amazing for God. We are usually called outside of the norm when God calls us. That word church is the Greek word for ekklesia. It means people who are called out. The word church isn't people who assemble in. It's a word that represents a going All right? It helps us to understand that the church is not a community of comfort, but one of calling. Then you have the English word for mission, which is the Latin word for sending. Being a Christian includes being sent into the world as a representative of Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You're like, not me, him, you. And some of us in the room would say, who likes change? And uh, some of us will be like, yeah, I'm receptive to change, but none of us like to move. I don't even have to ask that. You guys like moving? Anybody in the room likes packing up their stuff and moving? Oh, Billy, of course you have to be the one in the back to raise your hand. I really thought we were going to be 100% this morning when I said that. 
I mean, some of us buy houses to never move again. You've made that statement before. I said, babe, if we buy this house, we'll never have to move again. Never happens, by the way. I, I, but you may be sitting here now listening to me, and although you may be personally convicted about what I'm saying, you're wondering, my mind is full of questions, voices. You're saying this is both shared and specific. There's a unique responsibility to me, a collective responsibility that includes the church. And I'm telling you, you're not alone. If you're questioning yourself and wondering, what does this thing actually look like? I love learning from questions. It has a way of activating my mind. I believe that one of the reasons why Rosie and I were successful in, in youth ministry and young adult ministry is because when I got up to preach, I refused to land the plane for students. I refused to do it because I don't learn that way. I would refuse to land the plane for students. Instead of landing the plane with my sermons, I would give them some topic and cause their minds to wrestle with what I was talking about. So if you're ever sitting here and you're wondering to yourself and asking yourself, what is this guy talking about? What does he mean? What, and I'm exactly doing that. I want you to wrestle with what I'm saying up here. I'm not just trying to hand you something. I'm trying to make you part of it. One of the biggest mistakes we make as leaders is we try to lead people to places we have never been. And the truth of the matter is that I refuse. It's like the guy that refuses to take GPS directions. I used to think that the way to get out of uptown Charlotte was to get away from the buildings. It worked a little bit. Just take a little longer, all right? Listen, this, this biblical truth is not something I invented. Did you know that Jesus was asked 183 questions in the New Testament? And only four times did he give a definitive answer to those questions. You know the other 179 what he did? He asked another question. You thought I made it up. Jesus himself would give those people who listened to him the ability to wrestle with the things he was telling them. Jesus was not answering the question because he needed answers to questions. No, he was answering questions with questions because he wanted relationship with people. He wanted, he was forcing conversation with understanding and agreement, not just dictating to people what they needed to do. Our process in life will take maybe a little bit longer. You know why? Not because God is delayed. God is on time. We're delayed. We need to comprehend. It's an agreement that God wants from us. The shared responsibility is common, but the specific one to you, he will need to build you to be the person that he's called you to be. So if the call for your life is something that you are wrestling with, don't be discouraged. You are meant to wrestle with it. Because in that wrestling moment, you will bring, it'll bring about understanding and agreement. You're like, Moises, but I'm always troubled, always questioning, always crying out for help. Don't really know. What's the point of this, God? What are you doing? Why do I have to move? Why do I have to relocate? Why is this happening in my job? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? 
And I believe that that place of questioning is a lot better than a place of apathy and indifference. Because when a baby cries and cries and cries and cries, and the parent comes to the room and comes to the room, you know what's built there? A bond, a connection of trust. And you may think, no, the baby's just being spoiled. You need to let him in there cry so he can learn a little bit more. No, it doesn't work that way. There's a trust, a bond being built. When he's crying and we run to him, Rosie runs to him because I don't run to him. I go to him, all right, but I don't run to him. No, I'm just kidding. He'll be fine. Get up, boy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but what happens to a child when he doesn't get the response of crying? And, and, and you know, Rosie and I are going through this adoption process, and, and you learn all these things of the trauma that these child's experiences. And what happens to them is when they cry, 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 and no one responds to that connection that they're seeking, they settle for apathy. And then you, you see those babies in these traumatic scenarios, and they're shocked. They have no expression. They won't cry. They won't react to anything. Because they've settled for apathy. Apathy. Sorry, not apathy. That's another thing. I'll tell you about that next week. So if you at times get yourself caught up in a position where you're crying and you're desperate, and you're wondering, God, what is next? At least... You're giving God an opportunity for trust. Man, you're doing it because there's a connection that exists. Because he's come at your service at times when you needed him the most. Because in times of need in your life, you cried out to him and he's presented himself like he has never before. In some of his last words, Jesus gives this command to his disciples. And this is what we're going to be going and talking about today is this thing that we know as the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verse 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So go to all the nations, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey all the commands that I have given you. Listen, I, if I want anything for you to know here in this room, if you're part of this congregation, if you're part of this church, and anyone ever says, why do you gather? Why do you have this church? What's the point of all this? We are a Matthew chapter 28 church. That is our mission. Matthew 22, love God and your neighbor as yourself, the greatest commandment. And then you got Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. That is who we are. We don't move away from that. That is what we're called to be. Guys, I've been, I've been sobbing over, over this because of our call. Because what I feel that is specific to all of us, that is a shared responsibility as well that has been given to us as a church 
to be a Matthew chapter 28 group that goes into the, all the nations, makes disciples, baptizes them, and teaches them to obey. So go and make disciples, number one. This purpose is what we know as evangelism because the church exists to communicate God's word. We are ambassadors of Christ, and our mission is to evangelize the, word, the world. The word go in the Greek is known as a present participle, okay? It's, it should be read as you are going. It's an ongoing process. We are called to tell the whole world that Christ came, died on the cross, resurrected, and guess what? He's just in time for his return. Don't be so quiet. The task of evangelism is so important that Jesus mentions it another four times and commissions us to do so. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Luke 24, 47 to 48. It was also written that this message will be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning with Jerusalem. This is the forgiveness of sin for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. John 20, 21. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Man, I could, I could yell and scream up here, but that word tells itself. However, although this is a responsibility, guess what, folks? It's also a privilege. You not only have to, but you get to. What can possibly be more significant in our lives today Please give yourselves a minute. If you had the cure for cancer, you will find ways to tell as many people as you, as you could, wouldn't you? You probably call family members that you know. But we have something better, don't we? we you and I carry something better and bigger than that. And we have been given the gospel of eternal life to share with others, which is the greatest news of all. You're like, not better than the cure for cancer. Yes. It starts with our belief in it. As long as there is one person in the world who does not know Christ, the church has a mandate to keep growing. We have taken this growth word and assimilating it with finances, buildings, Ferraris, and Maseratis, baby. <laughs> I've been told that if I ever drive in a Lamborghini, they, they would leave the church, so. <laughs> Growth is not optional, it's commanded by Jesus. So, so if, if that's what growth represents to you in the church, get it out of that category. It has nothing to do with that. We have let the evil desires of people and their error and practice of this gospel cloud our vision of what we're being called to do as a church. 
People misunderstand this. We don't seek church growth for our benefit, but because God wants people saved. Number two, baptizing them. But why is baptism so important? I believe it's because baptism symbolizes one of the most important purposes of a church, and that is fellowship. The identification with the body of Christ. Because as Christians, we are called to belong, not just believe. I always say it, programs don't make people belong, people make people belong. We can sit here and sing, make it pretty for you. Get you cup holders for the chairs. But those people next to you are going to be the ones that are going to make you feel like you belong. You know, I try to talk to everybody. I go around, people say, what kind of coffee you had? No, people need to belong. You think I want to come in here every day and say, hey, some days I don't feel that way. But it is my duty. It is my call, not for my benefit, but the benefit of the God that has called me to do so. That goes above and beyond. What does how I feel have anything to do with who I serve? Amen? Now, it says, you know, baptism is not only a symbol of salvation, but it is a symbol of fellowship. It not only symbolizes our new life in Christ, but it also visualizes a person's incorporation into the body. It says to that individual, you are now one of us. I love the way Ephesians 2.19 puts this. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Baptism becomes an act of witness to others. Letting others know who you are now. The last thing is teaching them to obey. Man, this is where the church either blossoms or dies. In fact, I'll say it this way. This is an actual representation of whether the church is going to be a church or just an evangelistic movement in the area. We are either a permanent source of life in the area or simply a traveling circus. This is where the question, what is next in my life? What is next for my family? What's the next part of this journey? Gets answered. It's where we get the word discipleship from. What is that? It's the process of helping people become more like Christ in in their thoughts, feelings, and direction, and action. Because salvation, although it tends to be this one-and-done process for our lives, as long as we live, it's continual. It's continual. The thief on the cross didn't go through a discipleship process because he didn't get to live. If you're sitting here today breathing, guess what? You're living. You get to be discipled. You get to be taken through that process. Colossians 1.28 says, So we continue to preach Christ to each person, using all the wisdom to warn and to teach everyone in order to bring each one into God's presence and as a mature person in Christ. Man, we're in trouble. Every time you throw that word mature in there, I struggle with that. And if you know me, you know why, because I'm immature. (laughs) Don't laugh, Rosie. 
bring that word mature around me, I start to get nervous, you know. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're not only called to preach, to reach people, but we're also called to teach them. It is our responsibility to develop people to a spiritual maturity in God. This is the will of God for every believer. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue. It doesn't end. It keeps going. This will continue until we all come to the such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature. There's that word again in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. It doesn't just like, it isn't this willy-nilly scenario where, ah, I gave my heart to the Lord, and now I just, I go to church on Sundays, and it's beautiful. That's great. That's great. But there's a call through the great commission of God to develop into a discipleship process. It is our responsibility. We get to. We don't have to. We have to, and we get to. We say, we like to say we're an Acts chapter 2 church. There's actually seminars around the Acts chapter 2 journey, okay? And being an Acts chapter 2 church, and being an Acts chapter 2 church is because the Acts chapter 2 gives us a clear explanation of what the churches does. When it says they taught each other, they fellowship together, they worship, they minister, and they evangelize. So while each church in this county, in this community, in this world will defer on the way they do those things and accomplish those things, there should be no disagreement that you and I are being called to be discipled, to teach others to obey the commands that God has put before us. You think this is a legalistic come? No, it's the great commission of God. This is what we have been thought to do and called to do. It, it, guys, every church will be defined for, what those, for those things they are committed to. And as a pastor, I want this place to be exactly that. If I tell you I'm passionate about anything, is this... I have left, when I sit there and say and share the song under our second song where I say, I give you everything. I, my whole life to you, God. I truly believe that. This isn't, this isn't for me personally as a pastor, this isn't a money grab. This isn't for me to have an easier life for me and my wife. No, it's because I feel commissioned with a personal mission to do so. And as much as that is corporate and shared, it is also personal and specific. And that's what I want to spark within you this morning. is for you to understand that the commissioning of the church is something that is for the church and for the individuals belonging to the church. Because every single one of you has been equipped with a unique set of skills to do amazing works for God. What does that look like? What would we look like? It looked like edifying, encouragement, exalt, equip, evangelize. And you may say, what does any of this has to do, have to do with me? As a follower of Christ, we are to continue what Jesus started. He, he, he not only calls us to come to him, but he also calls us to go out for him. Our mission is so significant that we see Jesus mentioning this thing over and over in the scriptures. I mean, 
we tend to think that this is just a mission for pastors and missionaries. We're like, man, we're so glad that the Mellisons are out there. Thank you. Hey, Emily, hold it down, girl. Move, hurry. They're coming. You know? And you and I are here. You know, you, you know why Brian cries? Because it's that important to him. Because he realizes the risk. He's moved by both maybe a little bit of fear as a father, but also for the passion that his daughter is answering the call to ministry. That she's answered this call. It's not called a great suggestion. This commission is given to every follower of Jesus, not just to pastors and missionaries. This is a commission from Jesus. It is not optional. If you're part of God's family, this mission is mandatory. To ignore it is disobedience. To ignore it is disobedience. Have you ever considered that you may be the only light people have access to or will ever have access to in their lives? This concept of like, let the next person pick this one up. Pastor, they need you. I'm only one guy. I can't cover that much ground. You know how we could cover that much ground with you? With your specific commission and mission given to you by God directly? Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 18, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, part of the worship team that's coming up here. Ezekiel 3, 18 says, If I warn the wicked, saying, You are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their death. And you're like, bro, settle down with that. No. Am I saying anything outside of the word of God here? And although this is a big responsibility, it, also, it is also a great privilege and an honor to be guided by God. Paul said, God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and to be reconciled to him. You know what the problem is? That sometimes we forget how hopeless we were. Where we were found, we forget, man. Amnesia fosters arrogance. And we forget, it's been so long. We've been Christians forever. I've been a PK all my life, a pastor's kid. We forget. So when we see other people in the condition we were many years ago, we're like, they'll be fine. They'll get there one day. I got there one day. It's one of the main reasons why we were called into this area. One of the first questions I asked God is, why in the world would I go to Waxhaw, North Carolina? You know what I like Waxhaw? Because it was pretty. Not because I drove around and saw a need. I know there's need in this community. I'm not saying that. But it's like, why in the world would you do this? And it's because even though it looks normal and it looks okay, there's a lot of hurt there's a lot of need. And one thing I know for sure is Jesus and only Jesus is the one who can save people. And everyone needs Jesus. The group of people 
with their lives put together, missing the biggest piece that they could ever hope for. And you and I are being called to deliver that message, but we say, it'll be fine. Why is this so important? Because the consequences of our mission will last forever. Unlike your job, unlike your wants and desires personally, the consequence of this mission is an impact for eternity and we're all wired for it. William James said, the best use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. To do something that goes beyond what we could comprehend and see. It is easy to get distracted and sidetracked from your mission because Satan will rather have you do anything besides share your faith. In fact, I believe he'll let you do all kinds of good things in the community just as long as you don't take anyone to heaven with you. God is not asking you to quit your jobs, which I did, and become radical about defending his kingdom. No. Sharing this gospel is not the same as defending it, folks. We are too caught up in the social media battles. And we think proclaiming this thing means defending it. Listen, God is faithful and just. It is not up to us to validate that. It is, it is our job to proclaim it. However, to fulfill our mission will require that we abandon our own agenda and accept God's agenda for our lives. You won't be able to just tag this on your to-do list with your life. Instead, Jesus said, Father, I want your will to be done, not mine. I yield my rights to you, my expectations, my dreams, my plans, my ambitions, and allow you to lead this life. It'll cost you to start, stop praying prayers like, God, bless what I want to do. Instead, God, lead me to those things you're blessing. Because if we want to be used by God, we must care about what God cares about. And what he cares about most in this redemption is the redemption of the people he made. He wants his children found. You think anything matters more to God? Hasn't the cross proven enough to us? If there's one thing God cares about, it's the salvation of his people, and the cross proved that. And the cross proved that. So what fears keep us from fulfilling the mission of God? What keeps us from accomplishing that fulfillment in our lives? What keeps us from telling others about the good news of Jesus? Some status, some social status, some perception. I was playing golf with the guy the other day and, and he's, he's, we're having a great time. Having a great time. And we're having such a good time. He is cussing. But, but we're having a good round. He's not cussing at me. He's just, you know, saying his words. I'm not justifying it, okay? I wasn't cussing. And then after a whole like five, he says to me, Moises, what do you do?
and I have to break it to him. <laughs> I said, I'm a pastor. And he said, oh man, my wife is gonna kill me. When she finds out I play with the pastor, the first thing she's gonna ask me is, have you been cussing? And I said, please don't look at it that way. It's not about that. And a lot of us keep our message away from folks because we carry that stigma. And we say, man, if I share it, I'm gonna lose the access I have to the individual. But in fact, you're the only light that individual has. And listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, the rest of the round was really awkward. We didn't have as much fun as we did in the first five holes, okay? He kept his distance, I don't know how he felt, but I tried my best to share my light. Man, what does this commitment look like for you? I can only tell you what I've experienced. Maybe we're too caught up in the details of it all. This commitment looks like to me, it looks like this blank piece of paper. This is what this commitment looks like to me. And some of us, I think we need access to something like this. Because what some of us just need to do is, God is not asking you to worry about the details, what it looks like, what the outcome of it is gonna be, how it's gonna add up, what that equation looks like. All God is wanting us to do is to make a commitment with the paper where we just sign our name at the bottom of this and leave the details to Him. It's a hard thing to do because the very next thing we say, okay, God, what are you gonna do? How are you gonna do it? Where am I gonna go? And all God wants is a name at the bottom of this so He can take care of the rest. It's a commitment of faith, but I'm gonna do it. I intend to live my life this way for the rest of my life. And I hope and pray and believe that the details will be filled. That some of my wants will take place. That the desires I have for my family and my kids will actually happen. But it starts with the idea that I will sign my name to the bottom of this paper and I'm gonna lay it right here. and I'm gonna believe God to do the rest. It's not only me. I got papers all across here. Look how beautiful that is. There's a stack there, a stack here, a stack there, and a stack there. And I believe this is our call. That's specific. This one's the shared. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity in your own ways to come up here, grab a paper, sign your name, and lay it up here. And we're just gonna do a corporate prayer. I know this is different, but it's a symbolism of our commitment to God and what we're willing to do for Him. Man.
will, will ever make a greater impact for eternity than your commitment to surrender to a God that is capable of all of it. Listen, I know there's a lot of questions to the details of that paper, but man, doesn't it feel great to leave those things up to God? To say to ourselves, God, it's not on me, but I signed it. You know me more than I know myself. You know what I'm struggling with, what I need most from you, but today I lay it all in the altar for you. I just tell you that my commitment is true, my family's commitment is true, and here it is. I lay my name at the altar. Believe in God that you will fill in the details. Man, what a trusting father. Let's sing that, let's sing that, Ricky. Worship with us as we will pray in just a second. up to heaven right now and we're just going to corporately pray God we we're so thankful that you know us more than we know ourselves that we can rely on you in a level Lord that we can write a, a on a blank piece of paper our commitment to you and realize that 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 is enough for the remaining part of what you're capable of doing in our lives in fact our, our lives operate under this parameter way more than we, we think. Jesus, I just pray that every need in the room 
Every detail in this room will be met. Thank you, God, that we are able as individuals to acknowledge your presence to the point where you drive us to commit and allow you, God, to serve as the conduit, Lord, of everything that we do and how we, we move in our lives and what we do and how we do it, God. We seek to honor you and honor you only, God, so forgive us. If we're caught in the details, forgive us and help us, God. Help us to understand that this level of commitment is the one you're looking for, Jesus. That this is all you want is our commitment for you to take care of everything. It's your cross, God. You carried it. Thank you, God. We worship you, Jesus, and we give you praise this morning, God. You give God a hand this morning. Isn't he good?